Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Anything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. Go. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Fran Duffy. That's right, another week. And we've got a tough loss to break down as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 364. At the top of today's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell from NFL Films as we take a look at the team's loss last Thursday night against the Tampa Bay Bucks before getting into this Sunday afternoon's matchup against the Las Vegas Raiders. Before we get there, just a couple of things I want to make sure we hit on. Number one, quick reminder, jump onto Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a question, and if you like what you hear, the best way to throw us your support is to go on to Apple Podcasts and leave us that feedback because then it makes the show more available to others that are searching for Eagles-related podcasts. So appreciate everybody that continues to throw us their support. Number two, for some content, make sure you go check out the All-22 review that should be up over on our Eagles YouTube page and on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app. By the time you listen to this podcast, I did a deep dive on some of the defensive standouts, some of my All-22 takeaways on the defensive side of the football. And then make sure you go check out last week's post-snap read. I dropped that on Friday over on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. That was focused entirely on Zach Ertz and his career and some of the highlight moments, how he was used over the course of his career, three different coaching staffs, a bunch of different systems, Systems. One continuity, he was always the quarterback's best friend. So just getting into uh, what made Zach Ertz the player he was for so long here in Philadelphia. So make sure you go check that out. That's the post-snap read. You can go check that over on my Twitter page or on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. And as always as well, make sure you go subscribe to the Journey to the Draft podcast. You want to get a heads up on who the top players are in next spring's draft. Now's the time. Go hit subscribe. You can get all great analysis from a number of guests each and every week. Dane Brugler, Ben Fennell, Ross Tucker, Eric Galko from the Shrine Ball, a number of great guests that we cycle through over the course of a week over on the Journey to the Draft podcast, wherever podcasts can be found. That said, let's get into this podcast. I'm excited to start things off here with Greg Cosell in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, time to jump in now as I welcome in Greg Cosell for Chalk Talk once again. Greg, uh, welcome to week seven here in 2021. God, it's week seven already, Fran? Week seven is here. Uh, that is, and, that uh, is crazy. Yeah, and it's it was a great week uh, for the NFL over the course of the weekend. It was great to be able to sit back and uh, enjoy the two day weekend, take all take in all the action. But that's because the Eagles played last Thursday night, so we're a few days removed. We're a few days removed from watching the tape. You and I both went through the film on Friday morning. So going back into what you saw a few days ago, interesting to kind of get your thoughts. Obviously, look the offensive side. Uh, a lot of struggles right? for a large majority of this game. I know there was that stretch where they had five or six, three and outs in a row. You had an interception mixed in there. Uh, the timing and the rhythm of the offense from a pass game standpoint, just not where it needs to be for a number of different reasons. But uh, interesting to kind of get your thoughts on, on what you saw on the offensive side of the football. Well, I, I think what I'm about to say, Fran, is, is a statement of fact and not an interpretation, given what they do on offense. Right now, the Eagles offense is built solely on Jalen Hurts. If he does not play at a high level in any given game, their offense kind of stalls. And I know that because Hertz has played this way his whole life. By this way, I mean been in the gun, RPOs, running, you know, those kinds of things. Um, 
they're obviously playing to try to get him comfortable each and every week. And some weeks it's working. Some weeks you can clearly see it's it, it's not. Um, but like I said, that's not an interpretation. That's just a statement based on what the tape looks like. They're they're they're, they're putting the burden on Hertz, and he has to play at a pretty high level every week for this offense to play at a high level. And it's one of those things too, as a quarterback, you're trying to get into a rhythm, but if you have those ruts early on and you're not able to get into that rhythm with the offense going three and out, three and out, three and out, right. I mean, they, they ran 50 some plays uh, in this game, which is, is you know, for context, not a lot of plays on offense. And so when you're not able to get into that rhythm, the lack of being able to move the ball, move the chains. Well, now you're getting off the field and you're not getting into a rhythm on the sideline. That's not, that's not going to help. Right. You, right. So uh, they've, unfortunately uh, it's been a couple of games now where we've seen these kind of early ruts for Jalen hurts and that inability to kind of get out of that. And then they get to the end of the game and you see them have to have some modicum of success against the Tampa Bay Bucks, um, you know, a lot of people point to the fact, yeah, they, they ran the ball a little bit in that fourth quarter, some against some lighter boxes, right, where the Bucks are kind of backing off and saying, okay, sure. uh, you're yeah. going to try and throw the ball. But uh, I think overall, they, they just got to find a way to be able to get into that rhythm from a pass game standpoint a little bit earlier uh, than what we've seen over these last couple of weeks, for sure. Yeah, and clearly the coaching staff believes that the best way to maximize what Hurts brings to the table is to do what they're doing. Because as I said, he's probably been playing that way since he started playing quarterback at whatever age he he started. He was probably always, uh, if not the best, certainly one of the two or three best athletes on the field all the time, probably right through high school. You know, when he, when he got to Alabama and he was starting, they kind of played this way. Um, so this is what he's comfortable with. Uh, you know, just as a as a statement of of you know experience, I guess would be the best way to describe it. It's a tough ask for any quarterback, particularly an inexperienced quarterback, to have that kind of burden on a weekly basis. But I understand what they're doing. Now it's easy to sit here and say, "Gee, it's not working." They know it's not working on a consistent basis. I'm talking about the coaching staff. They're not trying to to put an offense out there that doesn't work. They're trying to play to what they believe is the best utilization of the player who plays the most important position on the field. That's what they're trying to get done. And we've played six games. Okay. Yes. Have there been some bad moments? Sure. Have there been some good moments? Yes. They're trying to get it to where there's some consistency to both Hertz and therefore the offense as well. And that's the thing. That's what I was just going to say exactly what you said in that last statement is by get trying to do what caters well to the quarterback, you're then saying, all right, well, if the quarterback's playing well, the rest of the offense moves. And that's what right. they, you know, that, that has been what has not happened over these last couple of weeks. If the quarterback uh, you know, has some inconsistencies early, the offense is going to have some inconsistencies early. And two, the, the other part of that as well, you know, talking with, I thought Ike Reese made a great point uh, last Thursday night on the, the post game show with myself and, and with Ella DiGiovanni was just talking about uh, the youth along the Eagles offense. You know, you talk about uh, the youth at wide receiver and obviously the youth at quarterback. Well, you know, with youth, comes a wide variance of play. And so if you have some of these mental mistakes, we've talked about the penalties in the offensive side of the football, the illegal touches and illegal men downfield. We've had the, the different starters rotating in once again along the offensive line. When there's a lot of high variance at quarterback and a lot of high variance at receiver and a lot of high variance on the offensive line, well, now all of a sudden, your offense is very high variance and you need everybody to kind of be on the same page to be able to put drives together, uh, especially playing the way the Eagles have played. Right. Because it's a um, it's get the ball out of the quarterback's hands fast. It, you know, the RPOs, the screen game, the, the, the quick throws that is 
for the most part, timing, precision, rhythm. And if you have a lot of guys that are kind of playing, uh, you know, where again, going back to that high variance, well, now all of a sudden it's a little bit harder to get into that rhythm, to, to have that level of crispness that you need to be able to run that offense effectively. Two points in response to what you said. You're 100% right about the receivers. People forget the, the receivers who are their top three are two second-year players and a rookie. And no matter what people think about Devonta Smith at Alabama, he's in the NFL now. It's a little different animal. And I think he's looked very good, by the way. But receivers also are part of this equation as well. Your point is 100% correct. And the other point I was going to make is then it comes down to what the coaching staff believes is the best way to get to that next level of consistency. It's easy to make an abstract statement. You have to run the ball more. And right now, they don't seem to feel that that's necessary and doesn't make me right and them wrong or them right and me wrong. But when all said and done, what you're trying to achieve in the NFL is to have your quarterback play at the highest level that he can play. Because if you don't, you're not going to be very good on offense. And it's a process. And it's particularly a process for a quarterback. And again, I don't think I'm saying anything that many who evaluated him, who do it for a living, would they'd say the same thing. You're doing it with a quarterback who is not a purely natural rhythmic thrower. That wasn't, you know, I know you studied him coming out. I studied him coming out. I saw him both at Alabama and, of course, his last year at Oklahoma. Yep. You know, you're working with a guy that needs some time. And it's going to take some time. It's easy to say now, oh, he's never going to get there. He stinks. That's easy. But that's that's not the point. You know, it, it, you have to give all of this a chance. It's six games, Fran. It's six games. Yep. He started 10 in the in his entire NFL career. And your point's so good. He's playing with young receivers, unfortunately, still a revolving door offensive line. And it's 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 tough. And I think, too, you and I have talked about this over the years. I mean, whenever we do these opponent previews and we look around at young quarterbacks in the league, I remember having these conversations with you about Josh Allen. I remember yeah. having these conversations with you about Russell Wilson back in 2012, 2013, 2014. Deshaun Watson early in his career. Guys that went on to become elite-level quarterbacks in this league. And just going back, like, you know, over the weekend – I went back and just watched. I went and I was like, all right, what's the 10th start for Deshaun Watson? The 10th start for Russell Wilson? The 10th start for Josh Allen? And People thought Josh Allen was going to be a bust yeah. in his first season because, yep. you know, as the old expression is, you know, he he couldn't throw in the ocean. You know I mean? Right. So you, you don't know. It's easy now. And believe me, is, is what Jalen Hurts is putting up on a weekly basis great? No, we all know that. That's We're not saying anything that's, that's wrong, but – you know, I think you have to be a little careful here. Yeah, now, that's the thing. Yep. You yeah. can debate. We can reasonable people can debate what the Eagles offense should look like. You probably have your thoughts. I have mine. They're not really relevant. It's what they, the coaching staff, thinks is the best way to make Jalen Hurts a player. Yep. And to just kind of finish my point, too, about uh, just looking at those other quarterbacks, that does not necessarily mean what I'm saying is that, oh, Jalen Hurts is going to be one of those guys. Just give it time. And that's it. He's going to be. Right. Uh, right. You know, it, but it means that you got to let it you got to give it time to simmer. Let, let the situation uh, kind of resolve, resolve itself one way or the other. We'll get a better sense. But uh, you do have to let it let it uh, let it simmer a, a little bit and be able to see because we saw flashes of all those guys where it's like, oh, man, like I remember like Desha watching Desha early Deshaun Watson and being like, man, like, 
Like uh, this guy just, uh, you, you see him break down in the pocket, that that visual sign of panic where he squares up to the line of screen. Right, right, right. Russell Wilson uh, do those same kind of things. Um, you know, and I think it's just, you, you got to give those guys time, uh, yep. these young quarterbacks. But um, just looking at the rest of the offense, I thought from an offensive line standpoint, uh, you know, they, I thought this was probably Andre Dillard's uh, worst performance of the three games or four games that he had started. I, uh, I, I, I thought he had some issues with uh, with Shaq Barrett off the edge. Um, it wasn't, wasn't terrible. It wasn't a, a, a you know, a, a liability by any sense, but uh, of the starts, I would say that was probably his least effective. Um, the, the offensive line in general uh, had some issues and that l- led to some of the inconsistencies from Jalen Hurts as well. I would agree. Um, and, and I think the Bucks recognized that and they increased yeah. their blitz tempo as the game progressed. Yep. Uh, going over to the defensive side, honestly, like Craig, I know that the, the first couple drives were tough. I thought overall it was a pretty strong defensive performance against what they did against uh, Tom Brady and that and that passing game. Uh, you know, the, and kind of a, a template for one of the reasons you would say, okay, this is the philosophy. This is why it works because as bad as the offense played. The Eagles were in this game throughout a majority of the game, and it seemed at times, man, man, Tampa Bay, they just keep running the ball. They keep running the ball. At the end of the day, Leonard Fournette ran for you know 104 yards. Uh, didn't didn't crush you in any what uh, in any one drive where it was like, oh man, like they just can't get off the field. They were able to get their stops. They they were able to get in some negative plays, some of which uh, were self-inflicted by Tampa Bay. Some penalties uh, kind of put them behind the sticks a little bit. They weren't always as aggressive as some of their teams might be from a uh, go for it on fourth down or what they were doing in third and long standpoint. But the Eagles got their stops. They got off the field. You had some opportunistic turnovers. Uh, and I thought we saw some nice flashes from players at all three levels of the field. Yeah, I was actually kind of uh, intrigued at how much Davion Taylor played. Um, what you think? What do you think of Davion overall? You know, and then I wasn't. You probably studied him in a little more detail than I did. I didn't think it was either good or bad. If you know what I mean, like I don't. I don't think he truly. He he had a couple of plays where he flashed. I didn't feel like he played badly, but I mean, I didn't feel like he was an impactful player. But I didn't think he played badly by any means. My big thing is like we know the athlete that Davion Taylor is. Right, so I'm always right. trying to get a sense of him uh, in the run game, playing downhill, playing in traffic. Those are the plays that I want to see him make. Right. Uh, and I thought we saw a couple of them in this game. There was one play where he had to take on Ryan Jensen, and you see go full extension, lock out the block. He actually uh, Jensen ends up on the ground on the play, yeah. and uh, Taylor's able to flow to the football. We saw another one where he came downhill uh, as well against the guard. And so just seeing him make those plays, and again, this is a very uh, inexperienced player, uh, I think is a good sign as well. Uh, just for his future development. I thought of uh, Avante Maddox uh, had a strong game. I thought he was impactful in this one, made a couple of different plays uh, downhill in the screen game, uh, made, made his presence felt in the run game as well. Rodney McLeod, I thought, showed up really well in this game and then, you know, continue to see some good things from Javon Hargrave. I know it didn't result in sacks in this one, but uh, certainly was impactful against the run as well, against a very good Bucks offensive line that we talked about last week. Yeah, I mean, look, the game got it. They, they fell behind 14 nothing and – well, I mean, look, you could have said, hey, the Bucs, as they've done against other teams where they end up putting up 38 or 45, that didn't happen. Um, so it was it, – it, I kind of felt watching the tape that the Eagle defense kind of kept them in the game after that point. Um, but I, I didn't come away feeling like, wow, they played great. I, I felt like they played they played just just well enough to keep them in the game. But you have to say – why are the Eagles playing defense this way? I'm talking about tactically and schematically. And there's obviously a reason for it. And Jonathan Gannon is not going to come out and make a big public announcement from the mountaintop as to all the reasons he's playing this way, because he doesn't need to. But there's a reason for it. And I think people lose sight of that. You know, they just think, oh, you got to play man. You got to blitz. You got to do this. You got to do that. You know, 
coaches know their players, Fran, amazingly enough, better than the fans know their the players. And coaches play in a way that they believe maximizes player strengths and most importantly, minimizes their limitations. Sure. Uh, and that's certainly a big part of being a successful coach. Um, real quick, Greg, before we kind of turn the page over to this week's matchup against Las Vegas, uh, I think we, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the Eagles making the deal to send Zach Ertz over to Arizona. Yeah. Uh, obviously, look, Zach Ertz has been a staple uh, of this offense. I remember the first day for him here in Philadelphia where uh, we, you were part of our draft coverage. That I day. interviewed him. Um, I interviewed we, him. We put you in the studio and you, you interviewed yeah. Zach Ertz. And, and uh, I thought Bo Wolf from The Athletic did an outstanding job because he was obviously working with us at the time um, of kind of pointing to that day and saying, yeah. you know, uh, Zach was a little tentative on camera, uh, wasn't the best in terms of speaking with the media at that point. And well, he just I came think- off that long flight too. And he was a little, uh, you know, I, I don't think he was quite ready to sit down for an interview. No, but you know what's great, Craig, is that like you know seeing how he was on camera that day. And again, uh, go check out the piece, the piece that Bo wrote. I thought it was really, uh, you know, it was really well said. Looking at him from there to what he became three, wow. four years later as one of the spokespeople of that of spokesman of that locker room, right? And just uh, one of the go-to guys to to from from a media standpoint on the outside to say like, okay, let's let's get the pulse of this locker room of this team, and certainly one of the more impactful Eagles of this era uh, for three different no coaching questions. staffs to make him one of the go-to weapons. I wrote about it on the post-snap read uh, on Friday, just all the different ways that he was used and what made him such a good player over the course of his entire career uh, here in Philadelphia. Um, you know, it's a uh, it was a tough day on Friday, but uh, obviously a good deal for both sides. Yeah, no, and I'd, I'd been around him since and actually been around he and his wife, Julia, a couple of times. And, you know, he's just one of those really good people. And, you know, th- that's just the nature of sports. It's the way it works. Yep. I'm sure a lot of people felt he was going to be dealt before then, you know, before it happened on Friday. Um, but, uh, you know, that's that's the way it works. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, he's now with a team that's 6-0. and That looks, looks, looks uh, really good. As, as good a Super Bowl contender through six weeks as there is in the NFC. That's right. Uh, the only undefeated team left uh, in the NFL, just as we all yep. drew it up uh, back in the summer. Exactly. I, I think, exactly. Yeah, uh, the last part about this, the, the deal, um, who the Eagles got back uh, as they got back a fifth round draft choice from Arizona, as well as cornerback Tay Gowan, who the Cardinals drafted uh, this past year in the NFL draft. Um, Greg, I'm not sure if you studied Tay Gowan. I did, I did not study uh, Tay Gowan. Did you? So, so real quick, just for the for our listeners, uh, I did study Tay Gowan. Uh, he opted out last year. He was a big corner, 6'1", uh, around 200 pounds. Um, this is good. This is a height, weight, speed player, uh, that I think still needs a little bit of refinement, but you have to remember he was a Juco transfer for central Florida only played one year. He played in that 2019 season, then opted out last year, uh, for COVID-19. So did not play a snap, uh, last year, um, you know, for, for reasons, obviously personal to himself, but, uh, did not play in 2020. So you're going off of only one year worth of, of playing at the FBS level and watching him, you saw a guy with plenty of tools. He ran in the four fours at six, one, 200 pounds, uh, which is impressive. Um, and you saw a guy that competes from snap to whistle, whether it's run game, pass game, catch point, really, really impressive. And then even just talking with members of that UCF staff, uh, over the course of this offseason, so they had a number of guys uh, in this draft class. You had the, the corner, Aaron Robinson, that went to the Giants. Uh, Richie Grant went in the second round to uh, to the Atlanta Falcons. So uh, they had three defensive backs in this class. And, you know, when you talk with members of that staff about Tay Gowan, 
it was, we, we loved this kid. We were really, really high on him. And what, what they loved most was his competitive nature and how he always showed up in big moments on the road, uh, you know, against top competition. He had a really good game against Stanford when Stanford came to town back in 20, ironically enough, Stanford, where Zach Ertz is from, uh, when Stanford came down to UCF in 2019. So uh, Tay Allen, definitely a guy that I think if he had played in 2020, may have gone a little bit earlier than he ended up going. Um, but I think it's a, a, an interesting piece. And we'll see. We'll see how, how he can develop here on the back end of this Eagles secondary. But an interesting player. I wanted to make sure we shared some notes on him before moving on with the rest of the uh, the rest of the discussion here. But that said, let's get to this week's game, Greg. We've got the uh, Eagles Raiders, 4 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. A Raiders team that obviously is going through some stuff, right? right? They were in the news a lot last week and obviously a change at head coach uh, with John Gruden out. So I was interested just kind of going through the film on Monday morning from their game. Would there be any changes philosophically from a game plan standpoint? Would there be any changes? I didn't really see any. Uh, I feel like the identity probably, I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts there. I feel like the identity basically stayed the same. They, they had a really good game uh, this past week. It was a good win to go on the road and beat Denver, beat that Vic Fangio defense. Uh, I thought it was a really good win for Derek Carr and that Raiders team. Yeah, without being in the meeting rooms and really knowing what they discussed all week, <clears throat> they looked very similar to me to, to prior to this week. I mean, this on offense, they're not contrary to what a lot of teams are in the league. They're not a high percentage 11 personnel offense. They play less than 50% of their snaps through six weeks uh, with less than uh, with, with 11 personnel. Um, they feature multiple tight ends. They feature a fullback and in Ingold. Um, you know, I would say that certainly with Gruden, their core offensive philosophy started with being physical and running the ball. We'll see if that changes at all, but I think that's what they'd like to be. Um, that maybe Greg Olson, you know, uh, wants to change that. I guess we'll find out. Um, but there's a couple of things that really stand out on tape when you watch them. Yeah. Number one, they, they attack, they attack vertically. And that's yeah. something yeah. new this year because I've always felt, and I've had this conversation with, with coaches who've agreed with me. I've always felt that Derek Carr was a little risk averse. I always felt that he did not push the ball down the field and that he left some throws on the field because Derek Carr can throw it. There's no, there was from the time he came in from Fresno state, there was never a problem with his arm. You know, he could throw it and many might not remember who his receiver was at Fresno state. And Devontae they, Adams. They, they, yeah. Devonte Adams. They put up some pretty good numbers there. Yeah. Um, I always felt he was a little risk adverse fan. And, and, you know, I've probably studied him over the years in more detail than you have, but this year, but by design and just by his own development, because uh, every quarterback develops at their own pace, uh, they they are throwing the ball vertically. Now they've also gotten a lot of blitz this year in critical situations, and he's and he's throwing the ball vertically. Now yep. he also has some speed. Henry Ruggs can run. Waller for a tight end can run. Waller, as many may remember, was actually a wide receiver coming out of Georgia Tech. Yep. Um, so for a tight end, he can run. Um, you know, so they're an interesting offense. The other thing that really stands out on tape is uh, how many, how much they use condensed formations, tight yeah. formations, of which bunch, three-man bunch, is a major, major part of that. Now, bunch is normally viewed as a tactic you use when you play teams that play high-percentage man coverage, which, of course, the Eagles do not. But still, you've got to sort out routes. When, when, when teams line up in bunch, you've got to sort out those routes. And in zone, you still have to do that as well, because if one guy, you know, sorts out the routing correctly, it, it creates a problem. 
So those are, you know, a couple of things that that to me really stand out watching their offense. And and Waller is is really intriguing because he can line up anywhere. And that's the thing is when you have so many of those condensed formations, I think they, they've done a great job this year. Uh, you you call it uh, their formation variation, rece- yeah. receiver di- distribution of lining up guys all over the formation and giving those pre-snap cues to Derek Carr. And I think that he's kind of reached that level that we talk about uh, almost at that quarterback masterclass level of being able to now, Hey, I can run the show pre-snap. And it really seems like he understands where all of his answers are uh, against whatever coverage, whatever, against whatever pressure they're going to see from a defensive look standpoint. And so uh, you see him making the right reads consistently, um, consistently when you're talking about like uh, how much they love to throw the ball downfield. They lead the NFL right now in throws that travel 20 plus yards in the air. And so many of those, throws Greg our receivers running into wide open space and that's yeah. to not just game planning but also the decision or the uh, decisiveness of Derek Carr and, and the ability to attack uh, defenses at all three levels yeah and and you know there was a play from this week that stood out to me because it, it could be the kind of play you know and, and again teams don't necessarily run the exact same play in a given week but we we do know that the the Eagles do play a good amount of split safety cover four. You know, they've, they've played more cover three single high the last two weeks, but clearly foundationally, they still play a lot of split safety cover four. And I thought this week that Kenyon Drake 31 yard TD reception was yep. such a good example of attacking cover four, because we know that Vic Fangio plays a good amount of cover four just by the play call and play design. You know, they anticipated that Fran, I'm sure you saw the play and you know what I'm talking about. Sure thing. Uh, yep. Yeah, it was it was post wheel and they they did it out of a one by three set. It was actually Foster Moreau, the other tight end, who was the single receiver to the boundary. And he had a reduced split for a reason because they wanted to make sure that he brought that corner inside with him on his vertical stem. And then who who has to run with the wheel in, in cover four? the underneath, you know, flat defender. And you got the matchup of Drake, a running back on the linebacker, Johnson. And, you know, it was a beautifully thrown ball and it was a 31-yard touchdown. They've been doing those kinds of things really well this year. Yeah, and I think the the other big thing, just looking at their offensive personnel, uh, not only do they play everybody, but – I think that they've got such a complementary group of weapons. You've got that designated speed threat in Henry Ruggs. You've got that possession threat that can really beat you at all three levels in Brian Edwards, uh, another second-year receiver. Yeah. One of Renfro, obviously the uh, one of the better slot receivers, a possession threat over the middle of the field, one of the craftier route runners in the league. You talked about Darren Waller. Foster Moreau is a really impressive combo tight end. You've got a grinder in Josh Jacobs. Uh, you've got the dynamic speed guy in Kenyon Drake, and we saw what he can do. You just broke that play down. Uh, they just got a very – complimentary set of weapons for Derek Carr and all of these guys fit in their roles nicely. You have Zay Jones and Willie Sneed coming off the bench and they're yeah. able to do a little bit of dirty work and uh, can make plays at all three levels as well. So uh, that, that part of it, it just, the, the offense fits in very nicely together. No, I agree. And even someone like Foster Murrow, who I mentioned, I doubt he has, gets many targets, but he is a really nice second tight end. He's a nice piece. Yeah. Um, so they know they do have a lot of weapons. And, uh, you know, I think they want to be somewhat balanced, but they can attack vertically. And that, you know, that's the thing. The Eagles defense has not really given up many vertical shots um, this year. And that that's probably been the best part of their defense, you know. Um, but, you know, much of that is dependent on pass rush. And that's going to be a really important part of this game for the Eagles, the ability to get after Carr, who sometimes can he can start to feel the pressure. If he's comfortable, he throws it really pretty. But if he starts to feel pressure, 
Um, look, we saw a couple of weeks ago, and I'm trying to remember who they lost to. Chargers. Chargers. The Chargers. The Chargers game, Monday Night Football. Yep. Yeah, and he and he he was not a comfortable player that day. No, no, they got to him. But and I yeah. I think that that's been uh, kind of the Achilles heel of this offense so far has been that offensive line where they've had some shakeups, right? So uh, Colton Miller's at left tackle. They started the season with, with Richie Incognito at left guard. He has since been put on injured reserve. John Simpson, a young player from Clemson, he's in there at left guard. He, I, I actually thought he had his best game this week against Denver. Had some really nice blocks. Um, they they shifted the rookie first-round pick, Alex Leatherwood, from right tackle into right guard. Right. And they put Brandon Parker in at right tackle. Pass protection, not necessarily a strength of Brandon Parker's game. You've got Leatherwood kind of getting accustomed to playing guard. Uh, and then Andre James, he, he has struggled a little bit at center. That's who they cut. Or when they cut Rodney Hudson, they immediately said, yeah, Andre James is our starter. They gave him that extension. Uh, hasn't played particularly well. He's an athletic kid uh, and has well, some would, highlight plays. But if, I'm, uh, if I remember correctly, wasn't James a left tackle at UCLA? He was a UCLA. Yeah. Yep. And he was a, and he was a left tackle. I believe so. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so, so, uh, he's got he's got light feet. He's yeah. athletic. He's just uh, yeah, yeah. You know, the, uh, it hasn't always been pretty for him at the center spot. So that will certainly be an important matchup here is the Eagles defensive front going up against this offensive line that uh, has given them issues uh, here the, in the past over the last few weeks uh, there in Las Vegas. Um, I'm just looking if there's anything else here from a from an offensive standpoint. I think you hit on a lot of the big things that really stands out to me about this offense, Greg. But let's go over to the defensive side where. Uh, Gus Bradley is the defensive coordinator and people will say like, Oh, you know, we talk about this, right. With uh, Dan Quinn and Dallas, like, Oh, everyone just says it's a default Pete Carroll cover three. That's what they do. And with Dan Quinn, we say, Oh, well not necessarily the case with Gus Bradley. It is the Seattle cover three. This, this is what they're running. It's four man rush. It is cover three. They run cover three more than anybody. Uh, it's uh, that's the identity of this team. No, I mean, Dan Quinn has evolved and changed. Yep. Gus Bradley is doing a lot of the same things, and he actually has the personnel that can do it. Yeah, because sure. If you want to play cover three and and rush four and play on the back end, then there's certain things you need. Number one, you need a back end safety. Now we're not going to sit here and say uh, Trayvon Merrick is is Earl Thomas. That's ridiculous. But Trayvon Merrick, as you remember from watching him coming out of college. He's long, he's big, and he can run. And he's their post safety. And I think he's played post safety literally on every snap this year. Yep. Um, unless it's maybe short yardage or goal line. Um, and then, of course, they had Jonathan Abram, who they drafted a few years ago out of, uh, was he Mississippi, Mississippi State? State? Yep. And he almost was your classic box safety. That's what he was when, you, when I watched his tape anyway at Mississippi State. And now he's playing box safety in a defense that really speaks to what he is. And the other thing you absolutely need, if you're going to play this defense and rush four, is you need to be able to get to the quarterback. With four. Four. Yeah, exactly and right. They've been able to do that led by uh, Yannick Ngakwe and Max Crosby. Um, they're the two edge rushers. They're both really difficult players to, to protect against. And, um, you know, so they have pretty much everything in place. Now they, I think the linebacker position is kind of, you know, sort of matched together here, but they're trying to figure that out. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They're trying to figure that out, but, uh, but they, they have the D line and, and they've got the back end and they've got some injuries at corner. Um, so Casey Haywood is their field corner and they're, they're now playing Brandon face on at uh, boundary corner, which was Trayvon Mullen, who was a first round pick and a, and a pretty good player, but he's out, he's on IR. 
Right. And, and that's the thing. I think if, if we just look at that secondary real quick, you talk about Brandon Faison, who uh, they brought in, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, but he played for Gus Bradley with the Chargers where Bradley was the defense coordinator these last couple of years. So familiar with the scheme, they were able to plug him in. He played a significant amount of snaps uh, this past week on the boundary. Hayward's had a good season. Uh, he, he's made some nice plays yeah. for them. He's been, he's been one of their better defensive he has, players. He has a really good feel yeah. for zone coverage the zone approach with the eye discipline, the understanding of when a, a receiver leaves his area that he can pass on and then where someone could be coming in. You know, he, he has a great feel for that because so much that's so important is zone in zone, because how many times we've both seen it where routes just distort the responsibilities of, of back end defenders. And Haywood has a great feel for not allowing those responsibilities to be distorted. He has a great feel for the gray areas, as it were. Yep. And by the way, uh, Hayward playing for Gus Bradley with the Chargers as well. So very familiar right. uh, with right. that team. Nate Hobbs, a rookie, uh, playing in the slot, and he's played pretty well. Uh, yeah, he's he shows played up. pretty well. Yeah, run game and pass game, uh, he shows up. So that'll be an interesting matchup there in the slot. You talk about the linebacker position. They spent a lot of money on Corey Littleton last offseason going into the 2020 year. Hasn't quite lived up to that. Uh, they no, also I would traded, agree. Yeah, they, they traded for Denzel Perryman this summer right after training camp. He was previously with Carolina. He also played for Gus Bradley uh, in in, uh, in San Diego, KJ Wright, uh, they signed they signed late in free or late in the summer, um, just as training camp was coming to a close. He's their Sam Sam linebacker. Uh, obviously played in Seattle for a long time previously with uh, Gus Bradley, so he knows the scheme well. Uh, just a lot of guys there on the back seven that know the scheme, and then you go to the front. Yannick Ngakwe, as you mentioned, kind of leads the way there from a pass rush standpoint, and he looks like he did in Jacksonville. I mean, he's coming off the ball oh, yeah. in a lot of different ways. Uh, he'll go long arm. He's not just speed rush, but he's got a quick first step, and he could turn the corner as well as anybody. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, and he's got that move that I love just to watch it. It's like that, like he jumps in the air, you know. I mean, Superman, but, super, the Superman hand swipe or the Superman. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, but Ngakwe and Crosby have been very, very good this year at pass rushers. Now it's a little different game against Jalen Hurts because of the running element. So yeah. you got to be a little careful. You can't just get up the field because you can't give an open alley or an open lane to Jalen Hurts because then you're going to be beat. Now, the one advantage they do have is they play so much zone that the second level defenders don't turn their backs. They have eyes on the quarterback. Yep, uh, and that will be a matchup, certainly, for the Eagles' offensive tackles. Lane Johnson uh, officially back with the team here. Uh, Jordan Mailata, we'll see if he's gonna, where, where he's going to be in this from the tackle situation. No word yet as we record this on Monday, uh, what that ta- what the offensive line looks like here as we transition into this game. But certainly, uh, you have to keep an eye on where Yannick Ngakwe is, who, where Max Crosby is. Crosby wins with length. He wins with savvy. Uh, whole power rush. He can turn the corner as well. He's a, he's a really interesting player. So, uh, a good defense. And look, uh, while they have been very well defined, very basic, you talk about you know they blitz less than anybody. I think these are these are the two least volume blitzing teams in the NFL, right? In terms of who blitzes the least, yeah. Uh, I believe the Eagles and the Raiders are, are number thirty one and thirty two. So uh, don't expect much blitzing here on Sunday. But two teams that get after it uh, with their ability to pressure the quarterback. So um, certainly something to watch here for Sunday. No, without question, and and I think again, you know, we say it every week because it's really important. But the Eagles' D line really needs to be a big factor in the game, um, yeah. and I think they can be, but they're going to have to be. Well, Greg, we will be back here next week to break it all down. Excited to, to watch this game unfold on Sunday afternoon. Until then, thanks for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. Thanks, Fran. 
The Philadelphia Eagles and New Era introduced the Fly Collection, an elevated, boldly branded apparel capsule with streetwear appeal that's different from your standard Eagles fan gear. The collection sees bold new graphic expressions of the Eagles brand on apparel essentials like hoodies, t-shirts, jackets, and headwear. The designs are kept simple, mixing fresh modern branding alongside bold punches of color available exclusively at all Philadelphia Eagles Pro Shop locations and the team's official online store. Learn more and view the entire capsule at philadelphiaeagles.com slash fly. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. Great stuff from Greg, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at EaglesXOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's Nose content that we produce here with Eagles Entertainment. You know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show. But the best way is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, give us a rating, and leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout-out today to someone who did exactly that. Michael left a five-star review recently and said, Fran, you and Greg did an excellent analysis as to what the Eagles defense has improved on in the Carolina game. Another aspect that needs improvement is communication. On third and goal in the first quarter against the Panthers, Carolina shifted their number one wide receiver, Robbie Anderson, inside to number two. Tommy Tremble, therefore, became the number one receiver. Anthony Harris clearly signals to Steven Nelson to cover Tremble. However, Nelson doesn't get the signal. He winds up covering Anderson along with Harris, and Tremble is wide open for an easy touchdown. I've seen other blown coverages due to communication. Have you noticed this? And uh, look, Michael, I 100% agree. It was a good breakdown uh, of that play there on your part. I think the big thing, when you play a lot of zone defense, everybody has to make sure they're on the same page. And when you look at some of the best defenses in the league that major in zone defense, whether they're playing cover two, cover three, cover four, it doesn't necessarily matter. Whatever version of, of zone you are playing, your communication and understanding of all of your rules and different coverages has to be on point. And so the Eagles, look, when you compare it across the rest of the league, they are I, there's no blown coverage stat per se, but when you look in terms of uh, big plays allowed, and we talk about that, that's a staple of what they want to try and do, right? That's one of the main core philosophies of this defensive of scheme is to prevent the X play, prevent the big play downfield. They've been very good with that, but when you're going to give up some of those big plays, it's often going to be because of miscommunication when you're playing zone defense, right? And so uh, certainly something they'll continue to clean up. Uh, the execution aspect of that uh, is certainly an area that they'll continue to look at. But uh, good call by you on that play. Uh, certainly the, that was what led to that touchdown by Tommy Tremble. So great stuff there from Michael. Thank you to him and thank you to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novocare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you later this week.